Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. About a month or so ago, you published on the uh, the Intego security blog that you write for on a fairly regular basis about how Apple is killing off iTunes and this time for real. And when I saw the headline, I freaked out because it was the first thing in the morning. And of course, you know, I, w- I had not even had a cup of coffee. And I said, what do you mean they're killing off iTunes? Oh, no, 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 no. Because, you know, of course, I have a whole I have an entire cottage industry based on whether or not people use the music app and the TV app. And so when I read that iTunes is being obliterated, I'm thinking, you mean the ecosystem, the whole entire thing of the world. But of course, you are you are nothing if not a thoughtful and conscientious SEO guy. So, of course, you wrote the headline thinking that this is going to capture a lot of eyeballs. And, and, And of course it did. But really, the essence of the story is that the music app is coming to Windows, where iTunes is still the music app, if you will, from Apple. And have they done this switch yet? Has this happened yet? No. What happened is we spotted that in the Microsoft Store, Apple listed several preview apps. The Apple Music Preview, Apple TV Preview, and Apple Devices Preview. The Devices Preview is an app to sync, which is done in the Finder on the Mac. Shortly after I published the article, they updated iTunes for Windows to add two features it never had before, the ability to listen to podcasts and the ability to listen to audiobooks, which suggests that they will spin those out in the future as well. So on the Mac and on iOS, you have music, TV, podcasts, books, and then ThinkSync in the Finder, which used to be in iTunes. So you have those four apps. Windows has never had Books. You've never been able to read Apple eBooks on Windows. And podcasts, for some reason, have never been in iTunes for Windows. And when you think that iTunes has supported podcasts, I think, since 2004, it was the first major app to support podcasts, it's really surprising. So what this means is that potentially, not potentially, eventually, Apple is going to replace iTunes by these apps. They also have an iCloud app, but that's totally separate because that's built into macOS. So they will have one, two, three, four, five, six different apps to replace, well, five apps to replace iTunes and the iCloud app that will exist. It's really confusing, (laughs) isn't it? Doesn't it make sense to just have one app instead of five apps? Well, you know, all right, that's an old argument where... You know, people used to say, well, you got the one app and you got the four functions in it. When are they going to break it out? And then they broke it out. And now people are saying, well, why don't you make one app? Now, we've talked about this before, and I've always been in favor of the single app, personally. I always felt that it made more sense to have one app instead of a whole bunch. And all these crybabies who said, iTunes is bloated, wah, 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 because it has features I don't like and I don't want to use. And it's like, sorry, guys. It's not all about you. It's not. But anyway, Apple is killing off iTunes. And what's interesting is I opened the article like this. iMac, iTunes, iPod, iPhone, iPad. These five product names sum up the modern Apple, the company that following the return of Steve Jobs in 1997 became one of the most valuable companies in the world. You still have an iMac. You still have an iPhone. You still have an iPad. They got rid of the iPod. And they're going to get rid of iTunes. The thing about iTunes is it's a brand that's so much more. It's like 
Imagine someone taking a very well-known social media brand and changing the name, right? <laughs> like Th- that's what it would be like. Gee, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> because because people would say, people like us, we knew that it was the iTunes Music Store and then the iTunes Store, but other people would say, I bought it on iTunes. I rented this movie on iTunes. You go to a supermarket, you buy iTunes gift cards. It was it was the brand that represented Apple other than the computing stuff. It was always the the non-geeky part of Apple, the, the content, the media part of Apple. It, there was always that separation between the Apple of the computers and the Apple of the content. Of course, when the iPhone came, that kind of melded because normies started using pocket computers. But iTunes is still a powerful, probably one of the best-known brands in the world. Yeah, I'm really surprised, but I'm not surprised because they do... It does, as you say, reflect an era, and maybe they want to move away from that, and they want to have more of a, you know, the, they're definitely more into services now. So maybe it's that. But the iTunes Store is a service. It's it's a very popular service. If you look at everything sold in the iTunes Store, which is now, like, they're getting rid of the movies and TV shows apps on the Apple TV, and that's all going to go into the TV app. Right. Okay. So these are things that are currently in the iTunes Store app on an iPhone or an iPad and in the TV app. There is no iTunes Store for music other than the iTunes Store app on iPhone and iPad. There is still an iTunes Store entry in the sidebar of the music app on Mac. So are they going to stop selling music? I mean, I can't, I'm not going to search for the episode we did about that. I did find the episode the last time we talked about Apple splitting up macOS media apps. It was episode 162 in November 2019, four years ago. I'm not going to search for an episode where we talked about the rumors that Apple was going to stop selling music. And this was shortly after Apple Music came in. Even if they're not selling a lot of music, they still sell some music. Do you know what they still sell that most people don't know? They sell ringtones. Is that right? <laughs> uh, yeah, they still have a, a ringtone store. You that's can still a thing. You can find it on iOS. Yeah, you can't find it on the Mac, but you can find it on oh, iOS. Of course, yeah. So they're still selling some content. There aren't many record labels that don't stream their music. We've talked about Hyperion, the classical record label here in the UK. It was bought out by Universal a few months ago. They have been slowly rolling out their music for streaming. I guess there's a lot of preparation on the back end, especially because they're really good about metadata. They've been releasing it. First it was piano, then it was violin, and I think string quartet was last week. They've been doing it in groups like that. That's interesting that they're doing it that way. If I I mean, I just think that that's a fascinating way of, of releasing your music. They're not doing it by era. They're not doing it by composer. They're doing it by... Uh, the, the format of 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 the, the of the works. That's really interesting. The type of ensemble, yeah. Initially, they released music by their best known artists of all instruments, and then they've been grouping it like that. And I guess it's just a way of getting a bit more publicity, saying, "Oh, okay, well now we're doing string quartets, and pretty soon we're going to do piano concertos." And they have an extraordinary series of romantic piano concertos, which are these schmaltzy piano concertos for like lots of strings and virtuoso piano, and it's one their best-selling series, believe it or not. There's wonderful stuff in there. There really is, if you like that kind of music. It's kind of like, you know, Liberace-ish. But it's popular. It's, it's wallpaper music for a lot of, for a certain kind of person. Yep. Yeah. So they are going to kill off iTunes, but will they kill off the iTunes name entirely? Will they kill off the iTunes store? 
It's like changing the name of a social media app that everyone knows and that news organizations cite and all that. And, and that social media app is now worth less than half what a bozo paid for it. And it's what is a year ago, less than a year ago. I think most brand experts would say it's probably not a good idea to get rid of a brand that is so well known. You've got to incorporate it somehow. It's got too much value and maybe too much baggage. Despite what I said a few minutes ago, saying it, it does reflect an earlier era. It also is, as you say, the, the customer-facing part of, of Apple for a lot of people. Well, they got rid of the iPod. And the thing is that that kind of gradually morphed into the iPhone. I don't remember the, the exact words that Steve Jobs used, but he said when he presented the iPhone in 2007, he said it's three things. It's an iPod, a telephone, and an internet-connected device, something like that. So it was very clear that this was going to be the successor of the iPod. And over the years, people got used to the fact there's fewer iPods. And, well, if I got an iPhone, I can listen to music on it, even though it didn't have as much storage and all. And, and I think that was a smooth transition. But... The, maybe if no one's, if people aren't buying much music, do they care about iTunes? It's hard to know what, you know, average people think of all this. I wonder, I do wonder, because you don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of data on the number of people who have slowed down on purchasing real music, that is files or CDs or turntable stuff. Uh, you have, you've cut down. and You too. Well, a little bit, but I'm, I'm still buying, I'm still buying media. I'm not buying files anymore. I'm buying a little, but very little. Yeah, um, but I'm not buying files anymore. I, I don't know when the last time I went to the iTunes store was. I have Apple Music, so as I always say, I can listen to anything, anytime, anywhere, pretty much. That and YouTube. I mean, if I'm looking for something, if it's not on a streaming service, someone has uploaded it to YouTube if I really have to hear it. So, I mean, I don't need to own this music. It's right there. I can just go through my web browser and hear it. It's not like I need to have the songs. And I keep thinking, uh, you know, the old fear of you're renting the music and when you stop paying for this. But you know what? Even if I stopped paying for it, I don't think I would care that much because the stuff that I like, I do own. So I, ha I can listen to anytime. But uh well, I don't know. Get it. I, I don't think people buy a lot of, of files anymore. And they don't actually, they don't need to because they don't need to have 5,000 songs in, in their pocket. They can have 5,000 songs in the cloud. Yeah, but it's, what is it going up to 12 bucks a month now? You know, interesting. We had $10 a month for all these services for so long. Apple Music launched in 2015. And what was it last year or 20, this year, 2023, that they increased the price to, what is it, 11.99, I think. 110 if you pay an annual subscription. So people still have to want to pay for music. They're locked into paying for music. Interestingly, I just resubscribed to Netflix yesterday. I've gotten to the point where I do it about three times a year for a month. I subscribe for a, I wait until there's enough things I want to watch, subscribe for a month, cancel immediately. So it's canceled 30 days after, but I've got a month. I See, I wouldn't do that for music because music is not the kind of thing where, okay, I can put off listening to this album. It's a movie. It's a different thing. But music, you want to have it available when you want it, right? It, it's an on-demand thing, unlike movies and TV shows. And more and more people I talk to have realized that, you know what? I don't have to pay for Netflix every month and they don't have good stuff anymore. That's true for a lot of services uh, too, by the way. It's not just Netflix. But but Netflix doesn't offer an annual price, 
Whereas Apple Music, what, you pay, you save 10 or 20 bucks if you subscribe at an annual rate. Or if you get one of Apple One subscriptions, a little cheaper. Amazon Prime is different because you're paying Prime and you're getting the stuff included. But most, I think Disney Plus has an annual and a monthly. It's much more useful for them to have an annual subscription to lock people in for the months where there's nothing good. But I don't think I would pay for any streaming video service anymore annually. There is one that I'm paid for annually. It's called Mubi, M-U-B-I. It has foreign films and art house films. And when my subscription next comes up, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pay every two months or whenever there's things I want to watch because there's just not enough. There's just, and, and there there are actually some good things on Netflix that I do want to see right now. So it's a good time. The, the sun goes down here at 4.30 p.m. It's night early. So it's a good time to spend a little time. Double feature. Yeah. Well, yesterday I watched a couple of movies. I watched one of them was the, that movie, The Killer, the new David Fincher movie with Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. I can't say it was a great movie, but it was certainly interesting the way the movie progressed. The way you know, let's bring this back to 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 Apple. How come you didn't? You don't? Is it not available on uh, Apple TV? Not available as an Apple movie to rent or anything like that? Most Netflix and Amazon Prime originals are not available to rent. Oh, they're uh, oh, it's an original. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So that's the whole, that's where they get you, you know, things that they own, only they have. Yeah. Sometimes they may be available on other services later for sale or for rent. But originals are, that's the whole point of originals for, you know, these streaming services. Right. Um, that they lock you into that. Do you use the Apple uh, movies service at all? Apple uh, TV movies? I rent a couple movies a month usually. You know what I'm really angry about? They used to have these 99 cent rentals every week. Right. And they stopped that a couple months ago. They oh. stopped that, I guess, when the latest operating systems came out. That was a uh, that went back a long way. Ninety nine cent movies. It did. Movies. And remember when they used to give away free singles on the iTunes Music Store? Yes. Yep. My, yeah. my my son shared my iTunes Music Store account, and my iTunes Music Store library is full of probably a couple hundred free singles from those early years. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I've had to go back and hide so they don't show up in my library. <laughs> but the 99 cent rentals, for a while they only had one. And then they started a few years ago, 99 cent rentals you may have missed, and then they had a whole list. And then it ended up, there was like a hundred, it was so many that I couldn't even bother to look through them. Now, why would they have stopped doing that, do you suppose? My thought is either it devalues the content by charging only a buck for it, but that's, you know, the content's already devalued when, you know, you you get it in bulk on Netflix or Amazon. Plus, it's the sort of thing that a person like me would, I gravitate to those. When I see those 99 cent movies, I would... I would surely always look to see if there was something worth looking at. Generally, there was. I think the last one that stood out for me was that documentary about the band. Yeah, stuff like that. That was available at yeah. 99 cents. And it's not something I would have paid five bucks to rent, but for a dollar, you know, okay, I'll watch that. That's how I felt about anything. Yeah. That's how I felt about anything in that list was like, well, a dollar would yeah. be worth it. So, yeah, all of this is changing and iTunes is going away. <laughs> you keep saying that and I keep getting this little jittery thing in the base of my spine yeah <laughs> but that's not what's happening really you just mean the word I, no that's on. not what's happening they're, they're all still supporting apple script yeah wouldn't it be nice if well no there's not going to be apple script for windows because that's a system level thing right right that's never going to change but i can't see them phasing out apple script for all the reasons that we've discussed off microphone and you know that's not a thing i but it's more you know there's been a rumor from apple's 
number one leaker Mark Gurman saying that Apple is pulling back next year to fix bugs instead of releasing a lot of new features. And this is something they did, was it between Leopard and Snow Leopard or Lion and Mountain Lion? They did one of these things as well. It, it might have been, long time ago. It might have been shortly after the <laughs> iPhone came out because all their developers were so busy with iOS that they neglected the Mac. And there have been a couple of times when they've done this. And what, I, what I'm noticing, if we just look at the music, well, if we look at any Apple app on Mac, things aren't changing anymore. They haven't changed much in years. The The music app has added a couple of cosmetic things and a couple of small new features. There are some new features coming soon. Collaborative playlists will be in the next updates for Mac and iOS. But they're not doing any of these wholesale changes. Was it iTunes 10 or 11 that totally changed things? It was iOS 7 where they changed from the now archaic skeuomorphic design with, you know, wooden backgrounds and all to the flat Johnny Ive design. I think they've settled into something that we're likely to not see big changes in the future. And I think that's a good thing. Small incremental adjustments and tweaks are good. But, you know, you look at the early years of Mac OS X, you had brushed metal and aqua. I was going to say brushed aqua. You probably had that too. And you had all these different things that like from one year to the next, you could be so confused when you launch apps that they'd look so different. And, and this could be that computer operating systems have matured as well, that we've gotten to a stage where they just don't need to change. I think it's one of the reasons why we still get excited when there, people talk about a new operating system coming out, because we think there are going to be new features that will benefit us. And a lot of times there just aren't. Um, there aren't features for us. However, in exchange for that, I would gladly take what German talks about. And that is, let's take a breather. Let's let's get everything up to speed because so many things are already up to speed. The other things need to catch up. Uh, so I agree with you there. I think that would be a, a really good thing. I don't remember when that was, but it was a great relief as a developer when that happened because it allowed you to catch up too. Yeah, it, it's pretty difficult for developers to have this annual cycle where, okay, in June, you find out what's new. You get the first beta. You spend three or four months working with the beta and then it comes out and then, okay, you're dealing with bugs that come in with the subsequent updates. And then you can't think past the next June when the new operating systems are presented and the new betas come out. It's unhealthy, I think, to, to expect an operating system to be updated every year. Microsoft doesn't do that. And of course, it's because the enterprise market wouldn't let them do that. Apple should definitely not update macOS every year. I almost wish they didn't even update iOS every year. They're going to they're going to add new features but it's it's giving a new name that makes it sound like it's newer than it should be. And there aren't that many new features in iOS 17 compared to 16 or 16 compared to 15, but the annual update cycle is problematic. Large developers must lose a lot of time because of it. Of course, Apple's biggest change was moving to Apple Silicon on the Mac, so their own processors that, that they built. But now that they've done that, maybe it's time to sort of say, we're going to go to a two-year cycle. We're still going to release an iPhone every year because it would make sense. And we're going to stop updating. Let's stop calling it iOS 17 and 18. Let's think of a different way to label it. Let's get rid of the iOS name because already you've got iOS and iPad OS. Yeah, it's pretty silly. iPhone it, OS. It is pretty silly when you think about all of them. Uh, and if there was some kind of unified... Well, I don't know if they want to go unified. Of course, 
isn't that what Swift was supposed to do? And we're not we're not getting anywhere near. Now that's above my head because talking about programming languages is something I don't really know, so I can't really help with that. I can assure you that the promise of Swift is. I mean, I know it has fans, but it was supposed to be the one and only, and it's it's still troublesome. Yeah, I, I guess. But again, I just said that these things are all mature. Anyone who buys a computing device today more or less knows how to use it. And you go back a few years and you were still like people getting their first iPad and a few years before that, getting their first smartphone, whether it's an Android or an Apple smartphone. Computers resemble each other. I mean, operating systems, Windows and Mac, there's no longer the kind of differences there were in the past, except the close button on the Mac is on the left where it belongs and it's on the right on Windows where it doesn't belong. But there aren't that many differences anymore. In some ways, it would be good if these things just disappeared, if they weren't the things that attracted our attention, because that's not why we use computers. We use them to do things. We don't use them because of the way the windows look and all that. And of course, with an iPhone or an iPad, you you, you avoid that because you don't see windows and you don't see the, the same kind of things that you do on the desktop. Yes, but there's still... Uh, you're still selling an attractive product. I mean, no one would buy no one would buy a computer today if it was DOS because it just looks awful. Of, no, of course not. But we've reached the point in terms of operating system maturity that we're never going to get away from the WIMP paradigm: Windows icons, mouse, and pointer. We're never going to get away from that. And there have been people who have tried to come up with ideas of things, sort of three-dimensional ways. Yeah, of, gesturing and things like that. But there's no, it just makes sense. The the way files in folders make sense. It, I, I honestly think that it represents the way we think, that we file things in our brain into categories and, and meta-categories and subcategories, and that's the way we organize things. So it's logical. And that's the way people are used to working in offices, and maybe in 100 years, It'll change, but, uh, you know, Apple, what they tried to do with Spotlight was change all that. They said, you can throw all your files in one folder and use Spotlight to search, and that didn't work too well, did it? I, I cannot stand using Spotlight to locate things that I know where they are. It's like, well, I don't use it to fire apps. I don't use it to, I use it to locate things that are lost. Exactly. <laughs> That's not, to, not for things that are found. Yeah. Okay, should we do next track picks? Why don't we do that? That's that's like the name of our show, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. I think I mentioned very recently a Morton Feldman work that I'd been listening to, and I've been listening to another one recently. The last one I mentioned was Violin and String Quartet, and this one is Piano and String Quartet. The version I've been listening to is on Apple Music. It's by Vicky Ray and the Eclipse Quartet. It is 79 minutes long. It's amazing that Feldman wrote a work that just fits on a CD. I mean, they must compress it a little bit time-wise to make sure it fits. What's really fascinating about this is the piano is basically playing arpeggios, five or six note arpeggios with the string quartet in the background. This is not a string quartet always playing and the piano always playing. This is Feldman's sort of, here's a phrase, a little bit of pause, here's another phrase. And the arpeggios are kind of, there's not even a chord progression. They're just, they're interesting arpeggios. And about halfway through, the string quartet gets into this kind of breathing thing where they're playing chords with each arpeggio. And there's a chord behind each arpeggio. And the slow modulation of the arpeggios and the string quartet and the chords, it's mesmerizing. Feldman wrote his music 
Uh, what do you call it when there's four P's, four pianissimo? Wicked pianissimo. Wicked PMSO. Yeah, he wrote his music to be played extremely soft, and, and performers have told me how difficult it is to play that because you really, you, you on a piano especially, you can't touch very softly. There's a minimum sound. So I, I tend to play these louder than Feldman would have liked, in part because I have tinnitus, so it's got to hear it over the tinnitus. But this is the kind of music you can put in the background and just sit and get into the breathing type rhythm and listen to the interesting arpeggio. Really fascinating music. So it's called um, Piano and String Quartet, Vicky Ray and the Eclipse Quartet, link in the show notes. Doug, what have you got? I've got on my wall a Who concert poster framed that shows the Who, and it says they will be performing at the Boston Garden on December 3rd, 1973. And they actually did perform at the Garden on, on that date. And then I thought, well, they must have been promoting Quadrophenia. And then I did some quick math. And I'm like, hey, Quadrophenia is 50 years old. I might have noticed this before, but it seems more important now. Anyway, Quadrophenia is one of my favorite albums. It is Pete Townsend's second rock opera, Tommy being the first. And the third, if you want to count it, is the so-called Abandoned Lifehouse Project, which in pieces became Who's Next?, but uh, Quadrophenia works really well. It's Joycean in that it takes place in one day. It's the story of Jimmy, and Jimmy has some problems. He's not just schizophrenic, he's quadrophenic. He has developed four personalities, apparently, to help him deal with his problems, which include his parents, the girl, his peers, and himself. And on top of that, Pete Townsend tried to glue on the concept of each of those personalities reflects one of the guys in The Who. And I never bought that, so I'm, I'm going to completely ignore that. But anyway, the story takes place, as I said, in one day. It's about Jimmy leaving home and then taking the train down to Brighton Beach to sort things out and all his adventures on that day. The record holds up really well. It sounds a lot more like Who's Next than it sounds like Tommy. And of course, by then, I think they were recording on at least 16-track stuff. So the record sounds really great. In fact, I would even venture to say that's how records sound now. It's one of those records that people listen to and say, hey, I want my record to sound the way Quadrophenia sounds. So it's got this great timeless uh, feel and sound to it. I'm not sure if I picked this earlier in the year, but if I did, I think I didn't listen to it. So I'm going to sit down with it, give it the thick as a brick treatment. That is, play it from beginning to end in order to appreciate it. Quadrophenia by The Who is my next track. This was episode number 269 of The Next Track. Thank you for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. Don't forget to support The Next Track by making a regular donation via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, so we depend on listener support to keep us going. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thank you once again. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.